is, as we're finding our seats, we're going to come together and sing an opening hymn, number 68, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Let's stand as we worship together tonight. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who would and ardent evermore shall be. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen. I know you've been fellowshipping already, but take a second, turn around and tell those around you that you're glad to see them tonight. All right, as we're coming back together, let's go ahead and we'll open our hymnals back up to number 285. I'll sing of my Redeemer. Let's continue to worship together this evening. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered, from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh sing, of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. 
On the cross, he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. I will tell the wondrous story, how my lost estate to save. In his boundless love and mercy, he the ransom freely gave. Sing, O oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon. Paid the debt and made me free. I will sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly From death to life have brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon. Paid the debt and made me free. Minute at this time, our ushers can come forward or usher. Do we have an usher tonight? Do we have any volunteers to be an usher tonight? <laughs> well, as they're coming forward, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. God, we thank you for this morning, for the time of worship that was uh, had in both instances. God, I pray that you were honored in those. Lord, now as we come to Another time where we have an opportunity to uh, give just a portion of what you've blessed us with. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would take these gifts, our tithes and our offerings, uh, God, and that you would bless both the gift and the giver to further your kingdom and your mission through our church here at Broadway. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated.
case you've forgotten or just don't know, here's what it's like to be almost a grown up, but not quite. You graduate high school, you get congratulatory handshakes, you get accepted into a college, or three, you pack up everything you think you can fit into a dorm room, you say goodbye to your best friends since second grade, you have your dog, your cat, and your goldfish, and then you drive across town, across the state, or across the country, until you get here, the place you'll now call home. The place that will push and stretch and shape and chisel and sculpt and mold you into whatever it is you will one day be. Congratulations. You are now one of 22.7 million almost grown-ups, also known as college students. And this guy really wants to meet you. The future of our, our country are on college campuses right now. And so when we think about the future hope that we have, it's like, man, we, we gotta get there. Like there's not even a question that like, we just have to get to the people that are gonna be shaping our culture and our country in the years to come. This is Rob Warren. He and his wife Lisa, along with a team of other people, moved to Madison, Wisconsin. Home of, you guessed it, the University of Wisconsin to reach college kids and plant a church. College students are just like anybody else looking for something. And in this context right now, I mean, what they're looking for is an answer to the question of who am I and who will I become? That's why the college years are, are so significant for gospel movement, right? It's because if you can disciple and implant gospel DNA, their perspective on life and family and job is going to be around the, the Great Commission. Rob is not the only missionary who's focused on this mission field. There are now 100 new Southern Baptist Collegiate Churches in the U.S. and Canada. And these new church plants are special because the go ye into all the world part of the Great Commission, the people in these churches know all about that. They call it graduation. The engine, if you will, of church planning is college students because they're the natural goers. And so the amount of churches you can plant, the students that you can mobilize around the country Rob knows that firsthand. Many of the people on his church plant team in Wisconsin were actually first discipled at another collegiate church in Iowa. To Rob, that's proof. Collegiate churches start churches that start churches. And when that happens, this happens over and over again. And so whether you live in a college town or not, whether you're a grown-up or an almost grown-up, that is something worth investing in. Not everybody is going to live in a college town, but everybody can have a collegiate reaching vision. When people give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, they're allowing missionaries to go to places that are really hard to do on our own, i.e. college towns that are filled with college students that don't have money to sustain gospel movement. And so that gift is a catalyst to reaching the millions of college students all around the country. Could Broadway plant a church on University of Kentucky's campus? Could Chris be <clears throat> speaking at the Limestone campus there on Limestone Street, uh, a, a part of Broadway? That there is a prime opportunity for our, not just our church, our city is a college town. This place is a mission field. We have to open up our eyes and see what, what impact, Lord, can we have 
here at UK. It, God is bringing the nations, bringing college students to Lexington. You know, one of the greatest uh, ch church plants, it wasn't really a church, it was more of church revitalization. Our current Southern Baptist president, his name's J.D. Greer. He went to this uh, place in Durham, North Carolina. It was a little Baptist church, and it was a, a, a senior adult church. It only was running about 350 folks. It wasn't a big church. And it was something like Capitol Heights Baptist. It has something the word Heights in there. Well, they may, were intentional. They live there. If you're in Durham, that's also right there at Raleigh, Chapel Hill. That's called the Research Triangle. University of uh, North Carolina is there, NC State, Duke, lots of college students. They started planting churches own like t raising up men from their churches and say we're going to send you and have like a they renamed their church called the summit so it <clears throat> it would i guess attract more be more of an attractional name than like capitol heights baptist church and they started planning campuses and now they have fifteen thousand people worshiping on several campuses and um part of that witness and they i was listening this week they hope to baptize, they hope to have an impact of 50,000 people <clears throat> over a certain amount of time, say over 10 years, and sending these college students on mission trips and seeing them come. They're coming to a place like Durham or Chapel Hill, and they're getting connected, and then they're being deployed. And that's a movement right now. That's absolutely right. And that is something, um, I mean, that church there in Durham, that was just like Broadway Baptist Church. You have a vision saying, how can we be a church that reaches students here in Lexington? Because there's a lot of them with that. All right, open your Bibles. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through chapter 19, verse 27. We're going to look at four different scripture passages here. Or I'm sorry, four different sections of the scripture. And this here is going to also come along a guy called Zacchaeus. If you need to make sure you have a bulletin, you need to pull it out, your bulletin insert. If you're, you just came in or you didn't receive a bulletin, you have plenty of time to go back to the Welcome Center and grab your bulletin so you can follow along here uh, and see what's going on. We're going to be talking about debt. We're going to be talking about paying back. Have you ever... Uh, have you ever um, loaned some person some money and then you realize that wasn't a loan that was a gift because <laughs> there's a difference between a loan and a gift well Zacchaeus and we're going to see when we come to him he was not just <coughs> borrowing money he was stealing money and he paid back from what he was stolen from all the folks he had he had taken advantage of so we're going to certainly take a look at that as well as we're going to see this parable here of the ten minas. That's a minta is a coin. And what, what the Bible is going to talk about, what our responsibility, God has blessed and given us gifts. And we need to be using that to advance the kingdom. We need to be intentional, saying, God, what you have given me, am I actually taking these resources? Am I taking my skills and my ability and making, um, making your name known, making the kingdom advance through that. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Pull out your Bibles. 
Luke chapter 18, verse 31. What's going on here is Jesus is predicting his death. I want, to, I want you to answer the question, why is Jesus predicting his death? This is important because he's reminding the disciples that his purpose is not to become the king of Israel. He's not going to become the next David. His purpose is to die. He's going to a cross. They had in this, their mind that Jesus, by signing up being a disciple, they were going to be, get a cabinet seat in the kingship that he's about to get. And he's saying, my kingdom is, is a cross. I'm going to die. And I think this is important for us because in many ways, when you, want, when you start serving the Lord, the key word is serving. Our reward is ultimately in heaven. We live for the Lord, and our reward's in heaven with him. Verse 31, then he took the 12 aside. Who's the 12? That's the 12 disciples. And he told them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything as written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they'll kill him, and he will rise on the third day. That's how we know Jesus is very clear telling the disciples what's coming. They under, and look at this. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. They had no comprehension of what he was talking about. And I believe the reason why is because their minds were closed. They were so fixed on the fact that he was going to become the king. How could Jesus die when he had the ability to raise people from the dead. That made no sense. How could a man who could bring someone back to life actually die himself? So that's, but it's important there. It says there that God basically had blinded their, uh, their thinking on this. You know, there's a reference here. It says here, and this is the prophets in verse 31. It says the prophets, everything is written through the prophets of the Son of Man. Now, that phrase is used, son of man. One time in the book of Daniel, you don't need to turn there, but in Daniel 7, 13, the Bible refers a messianic statement of the son of man. That's a reference to Jesus. So even in the Old Testament, we see Jesus referred to as the son of man. The son of man, instead of him taking the name son of God, he took the title son of man. Why? Because if he went around calling himself the son of God, he wouldn't have made it three years. His execution would have been even shorter. Because son of man, and that word man is capitalized, who is that man ultimately? is God through Adam and through creation. He's saying he is the son of Messiah passing down the line of David. So that's this messianic statement and title that Jesus would go by. He called himself the son of man. That's fulfilling scripture there in Daniel seven thirteen. All right, look here at your Bible here. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. Now, Mark's account of this story here, this is a blind man who's going to receive his sight. He's going to, they're entering into Jericho. They've crossed the Jordan River now. They're headed up to Jerusalem. So they come to the oldest city in the world. The very first city ever made was called Jericho. And here is a man, Mark records this man's name. His name is Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus was determined to get Jesus' attention. It's challenging sometimes to, to, in many ways, hear through the crowd to hear what Jesus is saying. Even today, sometimes you come to church and you can actually attend church and completely miss anything that's going on. 
through distractions, through your phone, through people talking, through commotion going on in the back, whatever it will be, you're missing what God has to say to you. That's why actually I love, Sherry always tells me, Sunday night church is better than Sunday morning. There's less distraction. To me, the sermon's better because you're, it's, it's a more relaxed feel. You're not on a ticking time clock because you know at 12 o'clock in the morning the trap door opens. But we don't have that trap door at 7. It just keeps on going. So Because Awana doesn't get out until 7.30. So look here what happens in the Bible. Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. So obviously there's some commotion. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So... I think what's powerful about this, this man's name is Barnabas. This is his one shot. Like, Jesus isn't coming back to Jericho. He's, le- he's passing through Jericho. What's he doing? He's going to Jerusalem. Jericho is 17 miles, basically southeast of Jerusalem. So he's going up. He's got to go up, and it's actually considered a dangerous road uh, to travel, real rocky area. And so if you're a robber, if you wanted to attack someone, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho would be a good place to attack back in Bible times. So this guy has his one chance. Jesus is walking by. And look what he says here. So he called out in verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front of him told him, look at this, to keep quiet. So this blind man is basically screaming Jesus, here I am. And they're saying, hush. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. That phrase, Son of David, that's another messianic statement. David, we know from the Old Testament that the Messiah is coming from the lineage of David. So here is Jesus, who is the son, who is with Mary and Joseph in that lineage, you're biologically there with Mary, and he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. That statement, have mercy on me, is basically saying, please help me. That Jesus, you're my only, ch- you're my, you're only a hope I have. Like, Jesus, you're the only one. That's what he's saying. It's a cry for help. He's calling out. So, and what's powerful about this, I don't miss this about Bartimaeus. A lot of times, when we're rebuked, we back off. Unless you're like a professional protester. Usually, if, so, if you're acting up in church and someone leans over, and they let you know you're being disruptive or they give you the look saying, I can't believe how these folks or how these children are acting here in church. Most people, they, they behave. They say, well, you know, getting out of hand a little bit. One time, I remember I was in church as a teenager, and we had a great youth group, and I sat on the back row, and, and the, there was, I was on the very back row. Happened, and I normally didn't sit there, but this Sunday I was back there. You know, back row is a dangerous place to be in church because it's easy not to pay attention. We were on the back row back there, and uh, in fact, you no, know, this in our church had a balcony. So we were on the back row in the balcony, so that is way back there. You get away from, if we had a balcony, you, or you're on the back row, you can get away with anything on the back row of balcony. I remember being back there, and this lady who, I knew who the lady was. She was a friend, I mean, my, my parents. 
and we and we had several guys. We were back there talking. And she turned around and she goes, Shh, Daniel, you don't want me to tell Belle. Or she didn't say Belle. Or she you don't want me to tell Beverly. She referenced that. And I tell you, that when you're 14, 15 years old, that gets your attention. Because she knew my mother. Like there, and that wouldn't have been good. Back in, you know, many of us, we, many of us growing up, you received a spanking if you, you uh, nowadays, you know, you don't want to spank. But the good old days, folks spanked if you acted up in church. And that was, that was a consequence what would have happened if someone, uh, if someone were to tell you. So literally, that's what's going on here. I want you to picture this. Bartimaeus is just crying out, Jesus, man, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are like, be, be quiet. Hush, like giving him the kicks and blind man, be quiet. I want to, I want to get Jesus' attention. But what's powerful about this? Look at this. Jesus stopped. He stopped, church, and he commanded that he be brought. So he stops right here in Jericho. Says, "Let me see that boy, Bartimaeus. Come on, let me see the blind man." And he called them up, and he's brought to him, and he came closer. Look what Jesus says. He asks him. Well, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want from me? And this man said, Bartimaeus, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus didn't touch him. He just spoke the words, receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see and he began to follow Jesus, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus did not touch this man. Jesus didn't spit and make mud, like in one case, and put it in his eyes. Jesus spoke the word. Receive your sight. Your faith has made him your well. Now, what was Bartimaeus' faith? Bartimaeus' faith is he acknowledged Jesus as the son of David. He, that's a messianic statement. And he also was crying out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. When we cry out to the Lord, when we ask God to have mercy on us, he will. Jesus doesn't come up empty. And what's powerful about this is Bartimaeus, I think the biblical principle for this, for us today, he would not allow the crowds, he would not allow distractions, he would not allow the friends, that lady sitting in front of me, that God owned to me in church, I was ruining her worship experience as a 14, 15, 16-year-old. She wasn't going to allow children to prevent her from hearing about the Lord. And I think many ways, church, we have to have that same determination Bartimaeus does. A lot of folks, a lot of folks come to church and there's distractions. Maybe not, there's not any distraction, hopefully, on Sunday night. But Sunday morning, there's more folks in here and it, it can be more distracting. And you really have to say, I want, I want to... Uh, I want to see and hear from Jesus. Lord, I, for me, you know, this morning, I'm so, I'm so proud of the teenagers here at church. The little girl who um, came forward and gave her life to Christ, she had gotten saved last month at Winter Retreat. That was that Strength to Stand conference down in uh, Pigeon Forge. Zach took about 25 teenagers to, and a bunch of chaperones as well. Well, she came up to me and says, uh, Pastor, I want you to know I'm, I'm coming forward. I want to make my... Uh, and I was, I was back there on the back row talking to folks before the service. Said, I'm coming forward. We'll make it public because I'm going to get baptized in a couple weeks. I said, Amen. And she said, um, where do you want me to sit? 
That's a dang. You asked me that question. Did y'all notice where she sat? I put her on the second pew. I said, ma'am, you need to sit on the second pew. And I want to tell you why. Because it's easy to walk down the aisle on the second pew. And I also know when a teenager is sitting on the back pew, because they were headed for the back pew. That was their pew back there. They, folks don't pay, teenagers don't pay attention on the back pew. They're not there. And it's very intimidating walking in front of folks from the back pew. So you put them on the second pew. Part of coming and hearing from the Lord is saying, God, I'm not going to allow the crowd to silence me. I'm not going to miss the blessings in what you have to say. You know, in my Sunday, you know, I teach Sunday school class, and I love James. James is a Bible scholar. You all know James here at church. And if we get off chasing rabbits, Every class, James says, all right, back to the lesson. That's what he says. He brings us back to where we're going because our class, it can certainly go off to wherever. And he says, all right, back here on page 18. In an indiscreet way, he's repositioning us back to the Scriptures. That is what Barnabas, he did not want to miss Jesus. He guarded his one opportunity. Listen, how sad would it be? If Jesus came back tomorrow, he comes back to second coming, and you didn't come to church this morning, and you missed your last worship opportunity, you missed maybe your last opportunity to do every time you miss church, every time you miss an opportunity to have a daily devotion, every time you miss something from the Lord, that is time you do not get back. That's a missed opportunity. It's easy to say, oh, I'll I'll do it tomorrow. Well, the Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Could you imagine sitting at home, skipping church, and it was on a Sunday that Jesus returns, and you should be in God's house, but you're at home? Could you imagine Jesus coming back, and instead, you know, he asked the question earlier, we, we studied it. When I come back, am I going to find people ready? Is Jesus going to find you and I with that same type of faith that Bartimaeus had? This man wanted his sight, and what did he get? He got a sight, and he became a follower of Jesus. That meant he started following Jesus to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to join the disciples. I'm going to follow, follow him up from Jericho. I'm going to begin following the Lord. All right, next passage here. Chapter 19, this is our main one we're going to talk about. This is about Zacchaeus. And this is what your little handout is going to follow along. This is about debt. This is about paying back. And there's a lot of background information I'm going to share as we go along. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho. So now we're in the oldest city in the world. And he is passing through. So Jesus is walking through Jericho here. There was a man named Zacchaeus who is a chief tax collector. That means he managed the other tax collectors. So he was on up. Now, what was a tax collector? A tax collector, this was a Jewish man who worked for the Roman government. The Roman government, remember, we're in Israel, current-day Palestine, 2,000 years ago. You had your Jewish laws, but remember, the Romans occupied and were over this whole region. So not only did you have to pay your Jewish temple tax, you also had to pay your taxes to Caesar. So when the Bible... When Jesus was challenged on, should you pay Caesar or not, what he's saying, should you pay this crazy Roman tax? Like, it's not a Jewish tax, so they're having to be taxed twice. So it's like all of a sudden Canada takes over the U.S. 
And all of a sudden now we have to pay our U.S. taxes, but then we have to pay your Canadian taxes on top of that. So then say Sherry goes and gets a job, and she works as a tax collector for the Canadians. So now not only do I have to pay the IRS, I have to pay them up there. And like so when Sherry's collecting the taxes, we're bitter about it. Like we don't want to pay Canadians. I don't even like them. Like they shouldn't even be here in our area. But they, they're occupying and they're running Israel. They're running Palestine 2,000 years ago, so they had to do it. So that's what's going on here. This guy, Zacchaeus, who's the chief tax collector, he's working for the bad guys. And he's a Jewish man. So let's see, see what happens here. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd. Since he was a short man, Zacchaeus was not blessed with height. He didn't play on the bath. He didn't play for the Kentucky Wildcat basketball team. He was a little fellow. Verse 4, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree. Sycamore tree has low branches. It would be a good tree that you could climb up and you could see someone as they're passing through. And he's going, he wants to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So what happens here, Jesus is this you remember, this is a smart guy. He's short, so he can't use his height. So he's probably learned this over the years. If I want to see something, I've got to outsmart people and climb up a tree and take a look. So that's what he's doing. He's hanging from a tree wanting to see Jesus. So verse 5 here. So when Jesus is about to pass by the place, Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it's necessary for me to stay in your house. So Understand, Jesus just healed this man named Bartimaeus. So we've got blind man who now sees. We've got the disciples. We think we're going to Jerusalem to become the, the new king of Israel. So he's got this entourage of folks following him up through Jericho. And Zacchaeus finds out. Jesus calls him out of the tree says, It's your lucky day. I'm coming to your house. So you come on down from the tree. I'm going to follow your house, and you're going to prepare me dinner. Now, the problem with this is this is a Jewish man. So typically, Jesus would not, Jesus is a devout Jew, so he's not going to enter a Gentile home. So, but Zacchaeus, being Jewish, he go, would easily go into this man's home. So let's take a look here what happens. So he quickly came down and he welcomed him joyfully. You know, probably Zacchaeus doesn't get a lot of visitors. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. And I think what's powerful about this is Jesus is going to this man's house and people are griping about it. Like, how dare this guy go to Zacchaeus? Of all the people's home in Jericho, we're going to Zacchaeus' home. But Zacchaeus, so like, I want you to understand, Zacchaeus knows what's going on. Like, he's aware that they're complaining because Jesus, the Messiah, is at my house, and I'm a sinful man. I hear what they're saying. Here I'm the guy that steals and extorts money from you, and they're griping about it. Zacchaeus stood there. I love the fact. Don't miss this, church. He stood there boldly. Like he didn't shrink back. He stood up there, and he said to the Lord. So I pictured Jesus walking into this home, and the Pharisees, the crowd, they're complaining about saying, Why are we going to this guy's house? And he looks, Zacchaeus looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I'll give half my possessions to the poor. And Lord, if I've extorted anything from anyone, 
I'll pay back four times as much. Like, that's a generous offer right there. This is a wealthy man. And he was just told, I'm going to give it all back. It's coming back. So, first of all, that's a lot. Give half you own to the poor. A big, and Zacchaeus probably had a lot. He, he's giving a lot. So then if he's saying, if I've ripped anyone off, I'll pay you back four times the amount. Now, the Bible talks about this because in Leviticus chapter 6, you don't need to turn there, chapter 5, or I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 5, it says if, if you've stolen money, if you've extorted money, if you ripped someone off, you have to pay back 20%. So let's t- put this into context. <clears throat> Sherry is that Canadian tax collector, and she goes and she collects taxes from Miss Gale. And she looks at Miss Gale and says, um, uh, you owe me $200. Well, really, Miss Gale only owed $100 in Canadian taxes. So she extorted an extra $100. She ripped her off. She doubled that price. So she ripped her off by 100 bucks. The Bible says if you stole $100 from someone, you have to pay 20% tax. That's Leviticus 6.5. So that meant when it's time for Sherry to uh, pay back her taxes, when it's come due for judgment, she owes Miss Gell $120. So she makes 20 bucks on that. That's what the Bible says. If you steal, you pay back 20%. Zacchaeus is a generous man. He says, no, I'm not just going to pay back 20%. I'm going to pay back four times the amount. So this guy, if she was Zacchaeus, she wouldn't pay back Miss Gell $120. She'd pay her $400. So, and understand, this is the chief tax collector. There's a lot of people think, wow, I just cashed in. Because they knew I'm only supposed to get 120 back, and now I'm getting 400 back. Zacchaeus is trying to show I'm a changed man. Jesus called me out of that tree, and I welcomed him into my house. I received the Lord. Welcoming someone into your house, you're saying, I agree with your message. I follow you as the Messiah. Jesus, you're going to be my Lord. I'm, I'm paying back all this stuff. I've been ripping people off for decades. But if, if they come to me and say, I owe money, I will pay it back. This man Return the debts that he owed. Look here on your little white piece of paper. The Bible commands us in Romans 13, 7. Look here. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. And respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those you are. We as Christians, we are expected to pay our taxes. We pay our honor and respect. We are to honor and pay the respect that is due to people. The Bible also tells us here, it is stealing not to pay your debts. When you owe money to someone, if you fail to pay it, that is breaking the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Do you know... Skip down there on your thing. Just a couple of quotes from Dave Ramsey. But one of the signs that Zacchaeus was saved, listen to this, was his willingness to pay back the amount that he had overcharged. That's the sign of a changed man. He recognized, I've been 
taking advantage of these people because I had the authority to do so because the Roman government backed me up and I had been extorting money from them and I need to return them. What do we learn from the man who climbed up the sycamore tree? Number one, the Lord knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus knew the Lord. God called him out of that tree. Zacchaeus did not know what he, he had heard about Jesus. He was a short little man. He had to climb up that tree. But God stopped. Jesus stopped under that tree and brought him down. God had chosen this man. Number two, Zacchaeus went from cheating people for money to blessing people. He all of a sudden, now half his money went to the poor. He gave back four times that amount. He became a blessing. He went from a thief to a blessing. God wants us to be a blessing to other folks. He became a giver rather than a taker. Jesus freed him of greed and idolatry. He loved money. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and money. And that is something so many folks do today. Jesus came to save the lost. Jesus died for the lost, and now we're sent to the lost. Zacchaeus was lost. What did they say about the man? They were grumbling. What did they grumble about? He's a sinful man. These Jews did not associate with Zacchaeus. They wrote him off. Jesus went after him. Look here in Luke chapter 19. In verse 9, this is the main verse. Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. What does that mean? He was a Jewish man. Salvation came to his house, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And the biblical principle to see for us, if Jesus is going after the lost, we should be going after the lost. That church we just saw the video about there in Madison, Wisconsin, they said we're going to go and plant churches at the University of Wisconsin for the sole purpose of reaching a new generation. I want you all to know, if our church is not reaching youth, if Zach isn't reaching youth, young, middle and high schools for the Lord, if Chris isn't reaching college students and we're in a college town, we're failing. That is the age where people can come and grow and give their life to Christ. And you take a college student graduating for UK. We should be seeing these students come through Broadway. They're four years here, and they're being deployed to the mission field. They're being called to the ministry. Their next stop is Southern Seminary. Their next stop is New Orleans Seminary, where I went, because God is raising them up. We had a deacons meeting yesterday. We have deacons here tonight, and we talked about the pipeline. Who are we identifying men that God is going to get a hold of and, you know, the thing about, you can look at young guys and say, ah, they're not quite ready to be a dick. When God gets a hold of somebody, you give them three, four, five years, you've got a dynamic change to man. I won't say his name because he probably listens on Facebook Live, but in Georgia I knew this guy. He came to our church. He came through Upward. Upward, I think it was flag football, his son, or children, or cheerleading. We had, we had, we had all the Upward Leagues. And he came up to me after the upward, like we had this big evangelistic presentation. And he came up to me, and it was for children, but 
You know, the great thing about the gospel is you're, when you're speaking to children, teenagers, it also, the great thing about the Bible is it speaks to adults. And he pulled me aside and said, Dion, I need to talk to you. And he says, you know, um, I, I, and I didn't know this. I have a drinking problem. I, I need to get saved. Well, he gave his life to Christ. God healed him of that. Do you know five years later that man was our vice chairman of deacons at that church? And I took someone who literally just came for bat, football. God got a hold of him, gave his life to Christ. He no longer drank alcohol. Next thing you know, he's a leader in that church. That's the power of the gospel. I'm still friends with him. You take somebody, just raw Zacchaeus, where people look at that man and go, man, he's a, he's a drunk. Zacchaeus, he's a sinful man. He's a crook. You, Jesus gets a hold of people, and you've got a disciple. The question for us here, this last question, for number five, who is your Zacchaeus? Remember the question, what were they saying about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is a sinful man. What did that mean? Zacchaeus is lost. Jesus came, this story, to seek and to save the lost. The mission of this church is not going to Mexico and Cancun. The mission of this church is not to go to the Derby Dinner up in Jeffersonville, Indiana. The mission of Broadway Baptist Church is to seek and to save the lost. We have a passion to see lost people who are far from God to come to know the Lord. We want to position our church. Everything we say, are, are, are folks being saved? Is the Bible being taught? Is the gospel going out? This fundamental, this is a, Jesus, what he does here at Zacchaeus, he takes this man, this sinful man, and says, I want to teach him about the Lord. He called him out of the tree. He went to his house, and he says, today salvation has come to your home. That's the type of church we want to be. That's the type of church I want to pastor. That's the type of church you want to be a part of. All right, look here in the next Bible verse. Next, last passage. The parable of the ten minas. A mina here is a, basically, it's a large piece of money. A mina is a coin that is worth 100 drachma. A drachma is worth one day's wage. So, if you could divide that out, that's a roughly about a little less than four months. This is about three and a half months' wages. So you're talking ten, fifteen thousand dollars in today's money. So if someone gives you a mina, they're basically saying, "Here's fifteen thousand dollars. You go out and do whatever you know." That's a nice. That's a blessing. If someone were to give you fifteen thousand dollars, you could go on that trip to Mexico. And do whatever you need to do. You, you, you'd lose track of what the most priority is. So that's what's going to happen here. So this is, you're receiving, when we see the word mina talked about, think $15,000. That's what you're going to receive. So Jesus is going to tell us a parable. And what this is about, it's an important parable for us. 
reminding us that we are going to be held accountable to the Lord and that there will be a judgment uh, to come. Our Listen, if God has blessed you financially, if God has blessed you, He did not do that so you could just pass that along to your children who don't even go to church, who will be going to Mexico, and who will be blowing that. God blesses us financially. So fundamentally, we advance the kingdom of God. Because remember what's most important. When we all die and you have your funeral right here, I'll share some Bible verses. I'll tell some stories. David Dell sings some songs. We'll say some, you'll have some friends say some words. There'll be some pictures all around. But the truth is, you'll be standing before God. You won't be there. And when you stand before God, He will not care how much money and what wealth and what you accumulate. That has, means nothing to Him. God owns everything. He wants to know, did you take what I gave you, your gifts, your resources, your money, and did you advance the kingdom of God? Did you use it to, to, uh, to look what it says here. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. So this is a parable, so that means it has a deeper meaning. It didn't happen. As he was, near, as he was getting close to Jerusalem, remember why we're we going to Jerusalem? We're going to Jerusalem to die. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away, so they're thinking Jesus is about to become king. Therefore, he said to them, a nobleman. Now, the nobleman, you know, there's three different characters in this study, in this story here. The nobleman represents Jesus. That's, remember, always in a parable, we always have either Jesus or God as the representatives. Now, a nobleman was traveling to a faraway country to receive himself authority to be king. So what happens, he's, he has some land, he has a lot of servants, but he's got to travel away. And he's receiving the authority, and he's going to come back. So he's going to receive this authority to be king, and then he's going to return. Verse 13, he called ten of his servants, and he gave them ten minas. So he each gave ten people a mina. Mina is what? $15,000. That's 100 days' wages. A lot of money they're getting. So it's a blessing. They're thinking, whoa, man. What a check. What a bag of gold. So all of a sudden, he, he gives them his instructions. And he says to them, engage in business until I come back. What a vague say. Here's a lot of money. Just, just do some business with it. Just take care of yourself. Come back, and I'll be back in a few months, of, uh, 100 days or so. We'll see what happens. I'll be gone a long time. But I know you'll do well. But his subjects hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, we don't want this man to rule over this, over us. Now his subjects here, this here, are basically the citizens. So understand what's happening is the citizens, they would represent the lost people. So remember, the nobleman, he's, he's, got, he's got a kingdom, basically. And then he goes, and he's getting anointed as a king. So the people he's over, they don't like him. And they send word, basically, don't come back. We don't like you. But when you're, when you're a citizen like that, you don't get to pick who your king's going to be. Also, the servants here in verse 13, that represents the disciples. That would be us. 
That would be people who, who, who work, who are servants of this king, of this nobleman who's becoming the king. So understand, we've got the subjects who represents lost people. We've got the servants in verse 13 that represents us as the disciples. And we've got the nobleman here who represents Jesus. So Jesus, disciples, lost people. And the lost people do not like Jesus. He's being rejected. They don't want him as their king. Verse 15. So now this guy, he comes back. At his return, now, I want you all to remember, the return, you put it in context, what Jesus is saying is the return hasn't occurred yet. He's still gone right now. So understand what's happening. Jesus is telling us, look, I've, I've blessed you. I've given you resources. You've got a job, you've got family, you've got a church, you can do things. And I'm going to go away, but I'll be back. So he's still gone today. But he's coming back. And so this is what's going to happen when he comes back. His return, having received the authority of a king. So when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come back as someone who died on a cross. He's going to come back in power and authority and a kingship. And he summoned those servants who have been given money. So he could find out how much they had made with their business. So he's what this is saying here, listen, Broadway, he's saying we're going to give an account. When Jesus returns or you die, you will give an account for your life. The first one comes forward and says, Master, your minute has earned 10 more minutes. That was good. And that's Billy Graham right there. He had, had $15,000 and he comes up, pulls out $150,000 and said, I made you a profit. I mean, as a good, he invested in the kingdom. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have had been faithful in a very small amount. You have authority over ten towns. So he received another blessing in heaven. He received a reward in heaven. The second man comes and says, Sir, Master, your minute has made five minutes. That's still good. It's a good profit there. He said to him, you will be over five towns. So he's giving them, because this nobleman is now the king, he has all this land. He has the authority to say, you're going to be over these ten towns. You're going to be over these five towns. But look what happens here. He told them, the third one, he comes along, and he says in verse 20, Master, here's your minimum. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. This is the guy who got saved, and he takes his Bible, and he says, I love my Bible, and I, I know how harsh God is and what he demands. So I'm going to take my Bible, and I'm going to go place it over here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep my baptism certificate, my Bible, and I'm not going to bother it. And that way, when Jesus comes back, I'll point to my baptism certificate, my Bible says, look, there it is. I kept your Bible. Jesus wants a worn-out Bible. He doesn't care if your Bible looks good. In fact, if your Bible looks good, it's not. it needs to be worn out. You need to be going through a Bible every year because you're using it and you're telling other people about Jesus with it. So that's what happened here. He squandered. He saved his minna, his $15,000. But God, he doesn't want you to save your salvation. That's not what it's for. You give away your salvation. He's, he, he wants you to do business with your faith. He told them in verse 22, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have at least collected it with interest. 
So he said to those standing there, take this minnow away from him and give it to the one who has ten minnows. So this man, this one servant, he just lost what he had. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minutes. Like, he's already got $150,000. Do does he need more? The rich is getting richer. I mean, Billy Graham's really cashing in. We're taking, now Billy's taking other people's money now. I tell you to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. It's a picture of heaven. Meaning, Jesus is saying, if you use your resources here, I'll even bless you with more. But if you squander the faith, if you miss what's most important, and you knew you were going to be judged, you knew I was a harsh man. And remember, God does hate sin, meaning we will be held accountable for our sins. He says, I will take what you have, and even what he does, have will be taken away but bring me this enemy of mine who does not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence meaning at the time of judgment those who these enemies these subjects these citizens they went to hell now what's interesting about this the servant the servant doesn't go to hell. Who goes to hell? It says, verse 27, But bring here these enemies of mine, those who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. The guy with the one minna who just took his Bible and set it on the shelf over here and did nothing with it, the Bible doesn't say he was slaughtered. The Bible says what he had was taken. Meaning in heaven, he received nothing. He didn't receive any reward. He didn't receive 10 extra minutes. So what we see here is Jesus is telling us, as a disciple, here's the principle. God is challenging us that if we know we're going to be judged, and we know we're going to be held accountable for what he has entrusted with us. We're fooling ourselves. We're lying to ourselves by thinking, you know, I've got this God in heaven who's really judgmental. He hates sin, and I know what he wants me to do, but I am just going to take the gifts that God's given me and waste them over here, go to Mexico, go have a great vacation, go do whatever you want to do, and put them right here, and do nothing. God's going to hold us accountable for that. That's what he's saying. He's saying your theology, you're saying one thing. You know that God is a judgmental God because he holds us accountable for our sins. But your life does not equate to that. God is looking for folks here at Broadway tonight who are saying, I'm going to use the resources and use the gifts that God has given me to advance the kingdom. The question for us for this parable is what are you and I doing to advance the kingdom of God? What resources are we using to pour in to college students at UK? What are we doing to give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering? What are we doing to use our gifts and abilities to help this church?
a lot of us are like this servant, that God has given us stuff, church, and we've just set it off to the side. And we're going to stand for the Lord and say, well, uh, here it is. Here's my Bible and baptism certificate. And God say, no, you've missed it. I wanted you to do the Lord's business with it. God is looking for you and I to invest in his work. The question for us is, the principle is, you know, if you know God's going to judge us, you know God's going to hold us accountable for what he's given us, well, what are you doing with it? And I want you to be able to answer that question. What are we doing with what God has given us, uh, blessed us with? God, I thank you for this word. I pray that you empower us as believers to help us realize that we will stand before you and give an account, just like in this story. Lord, we want to be a servant. That God, that when we stand, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you bless us with even more than what we have. Lord, help us not waste our life. Lord, don't let us squander our time. Don't let us squander our resources or just give it away frivolously. Lord, we want to be good stewards. God, I pray for what you're doing in our church. I pray our church is reaching young people. I pray we reach college students. Lord, bless Cress's ministry as he ministers to these UK students here on campus. Lord, people come to Lexington for a job, for school, for whatever reason. Lord, we pray they will cross paths with the gospel through Broadway Baptist. Lord, expand our vision for what we can do. Lord, I pray during this invitation, if there's anybody here that maybe they need to get baptized in two weeks, maybe they need to join this church. But Lord, maybe they need to be like Zacchaeus and say, Jesus, I need you. And where you say today, salvation has come to your house. Lord, I pray we respond to the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We close every single worship service, even Sunday night service, with the opportunity to respond to Jesus. So Chris is going to lead us in our song, and Miss Gail, we're going to stand together, and I'll be standing down front so you can respond. Let's stand together and sing. If you'd like, you can open your hymnals to 249, Jesus Pay.